to another edition of Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where sneak attacks always deal double damage in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 77, which begins with Skyfish swinging in to get screw loose away from the guards, and it ends with Ironbar shooting wildly at an air vent. Today we are joined once again by Professor Christy Porter and Jerry Porter from the Indiana Jones Minute. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. When we left off, Screwloose was in an awful predicament. He had been discovered by the guards. Oh no, what was he going to do? And luckily for him, his friend Mr. Skyfish is on a line, ready to swing in from just out of nowhere. I know a lot of people throw around this idea, oh, it came out of nowhere, and they use it (laughs) willy-nilly. In this instance, I feel like it's completely justified. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Mr. Skyfish really did come out of nowhere. Is this the first time that we've really seen any of the other waiting ones interact with Screwloose? Willingly? I think, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think of other times we've seen Screwloose. There was the time that he was sitting up on the ledge, as he does, and he suddenly found himself surrounded by a returning hunting trip. And so he, like, weaved his way out of them to get away from them pretty quickly. So I suppose that counts as interaction. But this is the first time anyone's spoken to him. Yeah, addressing him very specifically. Mm -hmm. With a nickname that denotes some kind of friendship. I mean, he may be the quiet one, but I'm sure they still like having him around at least a little bit. Did it uh, Did it ever occur to you guys that Screwloose maybe is the uh, like the community shaman? You know, I like that idea. No, that never occurred to me. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. Why would he be the shaman? Well, he's kind of just. He hasn't grown into it yet. Yeah, he's got a fascination with bones. Like his little grotto was just filled with skulls and things. Yeah. Okay. As if he was going for his witch doctorate. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That was good. Well, he. I don't think he's. I don't think he's blossomed yet. But but I could see that maybe in uh, you know five or ten years. Yeah, I could see that him growing into a role of quasi-mysticism or something like that. Yeah. Every tribe needs one. Exactly. They don't have anybody else? Just asking. Well, I don't think so. I Yeah, I agree. I don't really think so. Nobody else collects bones. I mean, let's be clear. Anytime, <laughs> when you start religion, you're always starting with screw loose. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really seem to have much structure to their community. There are two kind of de facto leaders, uh, Savannah and Slake. Seems mostly because they're the oldest. Yeah. I wanted to know what what the upper age limit for the Oasis community there is. Like, uh, do you get, you know, you know, when when you turn uh, 17 or 18, are you are you banished from the community? Do you, do you graduate out into the sinking sands? That is a question that we have debated a couple of times. My instinct is to say, yeah, somewhere like 17, 18, mm-hmm. that it's your time to go try and find Tomorrow Morrowland. I have to counter that, though, with the example of Savannah. We know the actress's age is 22, 
that really doesn't mean much, though. I would peg her just looking at her anywhere between 18 and 22. Yeah. The kicker is she has a child, Finn McCoo, who the actor was 10 years old. But we think he could play as young as like... Eight. So let's say that Finn is eight years old. Savannah would have to be at least 20. Hmm. And that's on the older side for deciding that you're adult enough to go out into the world to find Tomorrow Morrowland. Yeah, I thought of her as around a like a 15, 16-ish. Yeah, we get that a lot. Yeah. But it is absolutely canon that Finn McCoo is her son. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, yeah, so that would put, yeah. Even given a complete lack of sexual education and getting pregnant as soon as it's physically able, she still has to be at least... 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess she could be 16 if she was an early starter. That's possible, but I don't see it. (laughs) Yeah, we try not to talk about that. I think think your math adds up pretty well. We try not to think too hard about that. (laughs) (laughs) Is there Oasis, has it just not yet been discovered by adults or by people in Barter Town? Because, I mean, as an Oasis... It's pretty prime real estate uh, in, you know, uh, a, a nuclear summer. Yeah, I think if it were discovered by the public in general, it would be overrun. It would be stripped of resources mm-hmm. and completely destroyed, Yeah, you know, as we do. It hasn't been discovered because it's so difficult to get to. Mm-hmm. Most people die before they make it there. And Max being Max who just refuses to die, even at the same time he doesn't really care whether or not he does. Mm -hmm. He just always survives things. He's the only one who's been able to make it. And the kids, along with him, made it to Bartertown only because of Max. Yeah, because he gave them a little bit of direction. Speaking of Max, as Skyfish is retrieving Screwloose, Max is just sitting there in this pipe, gripping onto the bars of the grate that he can't fit through, watching all of this ruckus and the rile unfold before him. And just because these kids are, I'd say, lucky, they're able to swing on this rope from the position where Screwloose is sitting out over the platform, completely knocking over one of the guards and swing to safety, which is just one in a million situation. The thing (laughs) about the guard they swing into, when you lighten up the scene so you can actually see things, the guard they hit is the guard from the elevator crank that I thought was a man, but was actually a woman. And in this scene... She exhibits a lot more feminine movements. Like, there's certain ways that ladies move as opposed to men moving. Plus, you can just tell. It's in the way that she uses it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But it is kind of funny. All day, she holds on to this elevator crank and the one time she has to grab onto something that isn't a handle they just slip right through her grip and she falls off a platform well some people are good at one thing so they do that one thing and they excel at it and that's a valuable part of society no matter what that one thing is (laughs) she is good at cranking the elevator no doubt there's a guy who has an eye patch and he takes a, a you know a shovel to the face Mm-hmm. Is his eye patch made of a spoon? You know, I actually didn't get that close of a look at his eye patch, but I would totally expect it to be made of something like that, like a larger spoon. Yeah, or maybe like a one of those those things that you like boil a hard boil an egg in or something. <laughs> it's actually amazing. Like it's just 
and that's what uh, you know the costumes are are so great in these movies yeah that's just that's just terrific it looks like a spoon like a tablespoon not a teaspoon because i think he probably has big big he probably did have a big eye Mm-hmm. So they had to rock out tablespoon. <laughs> I like the idea of taking something that in post-apocalyptic worlds seems a little less useful. Although, as I'm saying that, it's a spoon. <laughs> How is a spoon never useful? Yeah. So why would you destroy a spoon to make an eye patch? Maybe an extra spoon. Maybe. Maybe an extra. Well, uh... Or perhaps the need for an eye patch outweighed the need for a spoon in this instance. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe he's uh you know, he's he's uh insecure about it or vain. Yeah. Not a lot of room for vanity in this movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and yet they're outfitted quite well. Yeah. I would say there's plenty of room for vanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of hard bodies. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And accoutrement. Yeah, some soldiers that look like maybe they're related to or at least shop at the same uh, stores that Wes shopped mm-hmm. at. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we had uh, the shoulder my pads. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have tall mohawks. Sort of, yeah, the, the that kind of Roman, <laughs> that Roman looking mohawk thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just a shame that a smart outfit doesn't translate into smart actions because the kids swing away, knocking over one of the guards, and Iron Bar and this eye patch guy, they're still more or less in their pulling competition. And so the eye patch guy hops up and starts to try and give chase as Iron Bar has his gun ready to go. And apparently, this game, you not only hold on to a handle, but it's also tied around your wrist. Oh, yeah, there's no getting out. One of you is going into the spikes. So Eyepatch takes off running, and poor Iron Bar, I say poor Iron Bar, he's trying to shoot children. (laughs) He gets dragged up into the spikes, and so he's sitting there with his arm in the spikes, pulling the trigger, trying to shoot these kids. Just... Not having any sort of success, which is what we want to happen. Yeah. It took me a few viewings to figure out why he was shooting so wildly. Like, what's wrong with you? Just be normal. For once, (laughs) just be normal. (laughs) It took me a few to figure out that the other guy had walked away. I'm pretty sure the other guy walked away to reach for the bolt cutters Mm -hmm. to release them both. Mm -hmm. But there was no communication between Eyepatch and iron bar so there was no coordination and one guy's trying to get the bolt cutters while the other guy's trying to shoot a gun right but i gotta give him credit iron bar's hand was pulled up into the spikes now if one actually pierced him i'm not really sure he does seem to cry out a bit in pain but i'm not sure if it's frustration at what just happened to him or actual pain because he was impaled Mm. Yeah. But he doesn't let that stop him. Yeah. He does his best, which is not good enough. No. It's rather Stormtrooper-esque, <laughs> but at least he has a good reason. <laughs> He's He has a tremendous ability to focus, I think, in this movie, Iron Bar. He does. I mean, it, it, it you know, he sometimes uh, still comes up on the, you know, the sticky end of the lollipop, but... He he uh, he is able to um, to focus, and he's he's you know he's the first to notice 
that um, Screw Loose is there. You know, he's he's normally uh, quite alert. Yeah. Now, Jerry, I consider you a bit of an expert on, you know, secret brotherhoods that are devoted to things and very focused. <laughs> Would you consider Iron Bar a good addition to the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Uh, he'd need a fez. For starters, and uh, if he was a true member, I think we could, we can tell he'd he'd have a tattoo, uh, right? You know, right, right Adam's below his apple. Adam's apple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I could see him. You know, I I do think he would be a good addition. I think he'd be a good addition to you know to any team of um, miscreants or uh, brigands, uh, malefactors, whatever. I think he's he's pretty good that way. He seems to be loyal. He's alert. I only ask because it seems that his markmanship is on par with the other members. <laughs> no, that that is all true, actually. That is indeed true. It's, That's true. <laughs> there's a lot of, I notice this movie has a lot of uh, similarities with uh, the Indiana Jones movies. I mean, there's the monkey. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Sure. We have all sorts of uh, shooting and 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 <laughs> wild shots that just never really hit their targets. We certainly have a Cor- uh, Cairo swordsman scene at the the first ten or fifteen minutes of this movie, right when uh, Max first enters Barter Town. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, we have the, we have the the guy who comes out with all the switch nunchucks and that sort of thing, and. <laughs> Max just blows his feathers off. Yep. <laughs> um, we have a classic Han Solo move, right? Coming up, not not too far. With we, you know, Max is chasing the bad guy. Then the screen goes quiet for a minute, and then it, ah, you know, with all the stormtroopers coming chasing uh, chasing Han Solo. <laughs> yep. There's one of those. Yep. You know, there's there's a frying pan to the face. <laughs> Come on, that's a nice little Marion tip of the hat. Yeah, right? I forgot about that one. That's yeah. coming up in a while Doink. too. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> and and I, I I dare I say certainly with uh, Last Crusade, this movie seems to um, it seems to have been an, infected with some of that uh, late '80s silliness. Oh, absolutely yes. <laughs> Which there may, there may be a few a few Indiana Jones fans who are throwing tomatoes at me because <laughs> uh, some of, some of them love Last Crusade as their as their favorite, but there's a little bit of you know a whimsy and frivolity that uh, you know sort of you know I I find chafing, but <laughs> but here uh, you know so I I noticed this and it made me think so okay what is this what year is this eighty five eighty five. 85, yeah. So uh, this is a little before the Indiana Jones stuff, uh, the Last Crusade at least. But, you know, Mad Max and Road Warrior are pretty dark, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. I'm still trying. I'm still stuck on frivolity. Where's the frivolity exactly? Well, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of, I think at the end of uh, per- perhaps uh, tomorrow's minute, we get a couple of wees. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, there's a, there's a, the frivolity, hon. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a frying pan to the face and then the frying pan to the face again with a big goofy smile, doing mm-hmm. <laughs> a little later in the movie. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things that you wouldn't necessarily, uh, 
uh, expect to find in, uh, you know, Mad Max installments. Yeah, I don't think you'd ever find a <laughs> raider being smashed in the face and then having a broken tooth goofy grin back in Road Warrior. Exactly. They were more the speed of letting vehicles drop on people. Yeah. And yeah. folks getting arrowed and falling over dead yeah. into barbed wire. That was more their speed. You can definitely tell that this is PG-13 fair. And there's a, it's, I, I honestly, I, I, I hadn't, last time I saw this movie was, I think, in the movie theater. And I saw it more than once, but it's been, I don't know, what is that, 30 years? <laughs> so, you know, I was eager to see it again, and I was fascinated by the fact that it did have sort of the same tenor or, you know, uh, tone that Last Crusade has that we talk about quite a bit on Indiana Jones Minute, mm. um, where there's there's some real dark parts. There's, there's the things that you recognize that are signature Indiana Jones or signature George Miller, where you go, oh my God, look at that. That's incredible. That That's that guy. That's perfect. And then there's other moments where you go, Whoa! Did that just happen? Is is that oh, okay? I, I all right. I didn't know we were going like that, but all right. <laughs> so I and and I think it's it's interesting that they're you know they're both uh, both of those movies are the third in the you know in in the uh, franchise. Yeah. Last Crusade and be and Beyond Thunderdome. I think I think third movies in any franchise struggle from time to time <laughs> yeah hard to do very hard to do sure that would be a good question is which which movie what you know is is there uh what franchise where the third one is fantastic mm. or or sticks out i don't know or the best yeah i don't know or the best mm-hmm. certainly i know we have our our uh, uh those that like the crusade best i don't know if it's far and away best we'll have to Think Jaws three in in three D. I'm I'm kidding. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't think off the top of my head of any third installments that are the best of a trilogy. I mean, The Godfather three is universal. Well, is well, yeah, universally panned. <laughs> I shouldn't say panned, but it's 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 considered far the inferior mm -hmm. in the group. You know, it's only because the first one was so good, right? Well, the first two were first two were so good, yeah, like amazing. Jaws one, Jaws two, fabulous. Jaws three, hmm. Jaws three. Not I don't know so how people yeah. would feel about Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, I, I liked all of them. I liked all of the Lord of the Rings. The third Lord of the Rings movie, Return of the King, did get an Academy Award. So you could argue that the Return of the King is the best of the three, but even so... For different reasons, though. Because yeah. that trilogy was filmed all at once. It all had the same budget, the same That's actors, the same director, the same everything. And they filmed it all at once. Yeah. So, so with, it's not really a third. Yeah. It's just a long movie. It's a really yeah. long movie. <laughs> really long movie. One of the big differences with no. this iteration of Mad Max as opposed to the first two was there was more money, more mm -hmm. corporate voices, mm -hmm. more distribution. It needed to be more widely appealing. Yeah, more commercial. Yeah, more commercial. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to make a statement that I don't agree with, but many people think that Prisoner of Azkaban is the best Harry Potter film. Oh. And that's the third one. I've heard that as well, that the third one is the best. It is a good yeah. one. I don't know if it's the best. I'll have to think it. Yeah, it's been a while since I've gone back to that one. You know what's interesting is uh, Fury Road is one of the best movies I've seen in right. the last 10 right. years. 
I, I saw Fury Road in the theater four times. Mm, yeah, Fury Road definitely takes the, I guess, large time gap fourth film reboot slash sequel <laughs> and elevates it where Indiana Jones didn't exactly. Now, Jerry, you might not have heard that there's a fourth Indiana Jones movie, but it did not perform <laughs> that well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We that that you know, mo, I'd say half of the Indiana Jones fans don't count that. As part what? of the, you know, part of the franchise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're a fan of the franchise, there's a certain loyalty that's expected yeah. of you. And, yeah. you know, you got to be there through the tough times, too. Yeah. If you don't appreciate <laughs> yeah. me at my Ewok adventures, then you don't deserve me at my Empire Strikes Back. Looking at you. Well, you know, we're going to be doing it just because I, I, I agree with you. It, it's an Indiana Jones movie, so uh, it must be talked about. <laughs> I might be looking forward to that one just as much as I am looking forward to our own fourth season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that once you guys start truly dissecting it minute by minute, I'm hoping that you will be surprised by some of the things that you end up enjoying. Maybe not that you'll end up liking the movie, but that there are aspects that you enjoy more than you thought you would. You know, uh, people have said that, that, you know, because the, the movie, it's a hundred yard dash and Crystal Skull is starting at the, you know, 150 yard <laughs> line, the 50 yards back, <laughs> you know, just such a, with the, with the, you know, and that, and barefoot and, you know, uh, just ate a bunch of Fritos and Papa John's before the race. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't really, you know, n nobody's expecting anything good out of it. And that's sort of the reputation it has. So, no, you're right. I think it's like, you know, uh, there's only one place to go from this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Very brave of you, Chair. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right, though. I, I, I think I'm sure there'll be some some uh, redeemable moments. <laughs> what, you know, can I ask, uh, what did you guys think of long-haired Max. Boo. Okay. Yeah, Julie is not right. But 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 it does it does it again fall fall under the category of eighties sensitive? Eighties sensitive guy? Eighties but not sensitive. <laughs> it's like eighties hair metal band. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you Rick, what'd you think? It didn't bother me. I guess I saw it as the natural extension of Max, a man who doesn't really care what he looks like just letting his hair grow out i am however very glad that he did get a haircut because there's just something about a long-haired max that's just not the same as the max we all know uh -huh. and let me point out he wasn't simply a long-haired max it was cut short in the front he had a mullet yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah you could tell that yeah. it was yeah. cut for convenience the parts in the front that were getting in his face, he cut short, crudely. But the parts in the back, it wasn't really worth his time and effort to pay attention to. Okay, so c could we expect that from uh, a nomad? It's kind of practical. I feel like you could reasonably expect something like that from a nomad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, like, the Bedouins. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bedouins tend to be religious, correct? I think so. And many, in... many religions have grooming standards. Yeah. Living in Northern Africa, probably heavy Muslim mm -hmm. influence. So they would follow their grooming standards, even if it was inconvenient. Yeah. Right. 
But Max has no grooming standards. No. Nope. <laughs> He's gritty with the short hair. I'd actually buy that um, if it were a matter of convenience and he gives himself a, it's, he's self-mulleted it, mulleted it. Um, if, if, if that would make sense for me, but it's, it's just a little too 80s. It it's is a little very too 80s. 80s. And it also looks a little blonder to me, which is um, unsavory. It's not buying it. <laughs> yeah, I buy some sun bleaching, but yeah. Yeah, this seems that. to be a little more. Mm-hmm. Than uh-huh. that. This is on yeah. purpose. Like, look at me. My hair is sun kissed. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work no, for me. I'm telling really. you. I think his look in Braveheart with the long hair is done much better. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And yep. even there, it's not that he just has long hair, it's very scruffy and unkempt and kind of not gross, just not great at all. It's manly. Yeah, it's manly. But but there's still something more attractive about that long hair than this long hair. Mm, true. This this long hair, my favorite part was when he woke up and his hair was cut short. Amen. <laughs> like, okay, now the movie starts. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. the Max we've been waiting for. Short hair Max. Yes. Looping back into the minute real quick. We've got all of the guards. They are going down from the platform to investigate what's going on and we get to check in with master real quick who has found his uh crib might be a good word for it smashed by the guard that fell off the platform and so the mohawked guard iron bar and the eye patch winch guy are wading through the pigs and as they go suddenly we hear the voice of pig killer say excuse me eye patch guard turns around and then wham right in the face with a shovel yep very daffy duck yes i know that pig killer (laughs) is kind of taking over this plan he is the usurper of this escape plan not plan not escape (laughs) i'm not really sure what it is i really like how he takes control he seems almost clear-headed about it Mm -hmm. especially like we'll talk more about that tomorrow but i really like how with it he seems and how his plan of taking out this one guard was very effective i bet he's been planning this for a long time yeah 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 it would make sense do you think he was planning it before he met Max? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been sentenced to life in Underworld. And what yeah. else do you do when you're stuck in a hot, stinky place shoveling poop all day? You probably think to yourself, oh, well, if I were to escape, this is how I would do it. He did seem quite resigned to his fate when we first met him, when he first met Max. So you think that even though he seemed resigned to his fate, he still fantasized? Oh, absolutely. That does seem natural. Absolutely. Probably has a lot of time on his hands. Yeah. Right. (laughs) If I've learned anything from the movie The Great Escape is that you never stop planning your escape. Mm -hmm. One detail that really stood out to me once I brightened up the scene is the fact that the last guard in that line still had the bolt cutters that he grabbed to free Iron Bar from the strength game. And so when he got knocked out by the shovel, that's the first thing that Pig Killer went for. Yeah. So he grabs these bolt cutters and he turns around to face Master. And Master, well, A, he has this tiny little stick that he probably uses to bat pigs away, but he holds up the stick to almost protect himself. Yeah. From Pig Killer, because if you have been the boss of a slave labor force for years, you probably have had some interactions with the labor force that were rather one-sided. And so if you find yourself in a position of 
weakness relative to the general situation and someone comes at you with bolt cutters, you might be a little defensive. True. Yeah, makes sense to me. But Master is quickly calmed by Big Killer says, no, 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 no. And then from the other side, Eddie shows up to shush Master. But it's very obvious that Eddie doesn't have a lot of experience shushing people because he starts with his (laughs) pinky raised and then switches to his index finger once he realizes that he's using the wrong side of his little fist. That's true. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I saw that. It's just a little adorable detail to remind us that we are still dealing with children. Hmm. Right, who have no experience with outside their own society. Yeah. <laughs> like, he probably just learned that gesture from Pig Killer. Ooh. Oh. One fun detail about Pig Killer's outfit. Yeah, he still has that giant sprocket thing around his neck but on his right shoulder his little shoulder pad is actually the rubber sole of a shoe yeah yep see that that's on his right shoulder so when he's carrying things oh yeah like giant buckets and tanks and whatnot Mm -hmm. he just puts it on the shoe oh okay okay i was gonna ask if you thought he was emulating max but No. no it makes sense that he would find something around in the trash that would make his job a little bit easier i doubt the guards gave it to him. Yeah, they don't care. Because when Max was first in Underworld, he wasn't wearing his jacket. That's true. He was just wearing like those, if you can even call it a t-shirt anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There were scraps of a t-shirt involved. <laughs> yeah. What did Max do with his jacket while he was in Underworld? Did he leave it with Auntie? That seems dumb. Well, they have a gun check. Maybe they have a coat check. <laughs> well, he never got his guns back. Doesn't seem like a very effective well, system. Max never took a ticket. He no, checked he all of his guns and then he never actually got they did, that's, a retrieval ticket. That's a good point. How would he they have, have no idea guns? who those guns belong to. Exactly. So Pig Killer, Master, and Eddie, they're off doing their own thing. And Iron Bar and the Mohawk Guard are very interested in checking out the end of this pipe. So mm-hmm. the Mohawk Guard is climbing up to take a look and he puts his face in front of the pipe and then just from out of that pipe like a piranha plant in super mario brothers max's fist <laughs> comes out punches the guard square in the face and he falls back to the ground prompting iron bar to just start shooting wildly once again that made me very nervous because i thought you know trying to punch through grating like that you know and re- really get a nice solid wallop you know, I'd be afraid that I might hit the bar. (laughs) Yeah, and you don't get any follow through. Right, right, right. Just because he's got to be far enough away so that, you know, the the guard can't see him. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is, is it, I think it's, is it his left hand? It might be his left hand. Maybe he's a southpaw. I don't rightly remember. Uh, It's his left hand. Yeah. All right. All right. So it just it's 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 a great shot, but boy, that makes me nervous. <laughs> I could see Max crouched back from the edge of the pipe and waiting to just see the feathers of that mohawk start to appear in the opening to the pipe, and then once the face is there, he would spring forward. Yeah. Yeah. And use that forward momentum of the spring to then punch through the center of the grate because that grate it's not large enough for someone like Max to crawl through, but Skyfish and Screwloose were able to crawl through it no problem. Yeah. What did you make of the baby? At the It's earlier in the scene, but the, the last thing that they pull up, uh, Skyfish and Screwloose pull up, is, is the baby doll on the, the 
backpack. Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. I don't recall seeing that it baby did. doll before. We know right. that it kind of Eddie... came out of nowhere, and yeah, and it's it's something that you don't once you see it, you don't really forget it. Yeah, it's hard to ignore. Yeah. We know that Eddie has a teddy bear that he's got strapped to a pole and he uses it like a walking stick. Sometimes he straps it to his back and actually when he straps it to his back, it sticks up over his head an awful lot like Iron Bar's kabuki mask. Yeah, that's right. But I don't recall ever seeing this baby doll before. And I don't know why that baby doll would be hanging out of the pipe. Well, I guess Screwloose and Mr. Skyfish have recently re-entered the pipe. Mm -hmm. But Anna Goanna, Savannah, and Kusha. And Tubba. Oh, and Tubba and Max were all too big to ever leave the pipe. But none of them would be carrying a baby doll. Right. It could just be part of a bag that Screwloose had or maybe Skyfish had. I just like the detail that these children toys come to adorn rucksacks and different accessories that yeah. these kids have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably don't even understand why they have them. They just still have them as decoration. It's like it's like uh, his talisman. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's more about its role as a relic from Tomorrow Morrowland. Mm-hmm. Which it, so what's the take on that with Never Neverland? Oh, there's like, definitely it's, it's more hopeful. So many more hopeful. parallels. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I mean, Never Neverland sounds like, well, what the hell's the point? <laughs> Why talk about it? We're never going to get there. <laughs> but but Tomorrow Morrowland, to you're like, quite well. Quite opposite. Yeah. Tomorrow Morrowland's yeah. a place where they can grow and advance as a people where things are hopeful and they can continue to move forward, which is the polar opposite of Never Neverland, where the point is to stay still. Yeah. Tomorrow Morrowland is promise and reclamation and advancement, where you could say the grotto that they live in, the crack in the earth, is their Never Neverland. Because they're never, never going to advance their situation. Right. And you could say they never, never grow up because once they do, they leave. So it's full of only kids. But Never Neverland, people want to go to and stay in. Mm. And this, is, this they don't. Right. Well, Max wants to go there and stay there. That's yeah. True. And what's interesting, that's because Max knows, you know, he's been around the block. Yeah. He knows that the grass is not greener on the other side exactly. because there is no grass on the other side because no it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> and of the Lost Boys, we really only get a little bit of backstory about how Peter came to be in Never Neverland, And it was by choice. He thought that there was nothing for him in the real world, so he decided he would rather go to Never Neverland and never grow up. So that kind of parallels Max, and he he's right. Max is right. Peter is wrong. Max is right that there isn't anything right. for him in the real world. Right. Where, you know, it's Barter Town. Right. He really is better off in the crack in the earth. So the situation that we find ourselves in between Max, the kids, and the guards, it's spiraling quickly out of control. <laughs> Do we we think there could have been a more deft way of going about this, maybe a better way of getting in. Absolutely. Yes, without the kids. <laughs> <laughs> without the kids, that's right. Well, or or if uh, if if they had had a plan or if they even um, you know, uh if if Screwloose didn't 
disobey Max, then at least, you know, they'd be on the same page. Yeah, I think having a plan is key. Sure. Yeah, I think step one, have a plan. Step two, utilize effective communication, <laughs> which is another way in which things fell apart because of Screwless, because Screwless doesn't communicate. That's his thing. Right. He's famously non-communicative. So things have spiraled wildly out of control. We're stuck in a situation where they're getting constantly shot at. So the last thing we see today are just bullets sparking around the opening of this pipe and inside the opening of this pipe. It's very hectic and probably very scary for the people that are being shot at. But we're going to put a pin in this situation. We're going to pick up with it on Friday and we'll see how this situation evolves and you could say it kind of resolves itself for at least a little little bit. Ironbar is going to quickly discover that all of his comrades have been incapacitated, so that's not good for him. He's going to try and shoot Pig Killer, but he will make the critical error of being distracted by deep thought and ultimately fall prey to just shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to wrap up the week with that. It's going to be a good time. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Mad Max Franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 77 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Over!